Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Welcome listeners. It's been a while since we checked in on the Democratic nominees for president. And from what I understand, uh, we've got a lot of catching up to do. The Iowa caucus was won by, well, nobody really knows who won that. So it might be fair to say that the Republican Party as a whole won it. Uh, Bernie Sanders squeaked past Pete Buttigieg in the New Hampshire primary. And Joe Biden fled to South Carolina to try to save his candidacy from slipping into irrelevance. Nobody can explain what happened to Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Amy Klobuchar's campaign is somehow mysteriously on the rise. And the Democratic machine is now banking on former Republican Michael Bloomberg come in and save the day. It is, in a word, quite a mess. I guess that's three words, but it's a mess. Uh, but the story of the Democratic primary at this point is, in many ways, a tech story. And we here at Margin Call love it when politics meet technology. So here we are. Uh, the mess of the Iowa caucuses can be explained in part by an app that failed to work as expected. And now Mike Bloomberg's campaign is paying meme makers, you know, like the grape juice boys, to increase his presence on Instagram. Uh, not that there's any sense to be made of any of this, but to help us try to understand what exactly is going on, we're welcoming our old friends, Travis and Katiba. Welcome Hello. to both of you. Thank you for Thank being here. You. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. I said good to be back. I'm very excited. Oh, I missed you. Yeah, we missed you. It's been a long time, too long. <laughs> uh, and with us, as always, our fearless leader, our producer, Iming Piancai. <laughs> <laughs> Never gets old saying that. Can you can you like imagine me rolling my eyes right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I, have to imagine it. I felt. I mean, usually we can. Yeah, usually we can see each other. Uh, but we're using this audio app where we can't see each other. But you know what? My brain is filling in all the gaps. Like yeah. I don't need to so see glad. the video to know yep. that you're rolling your eyes. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean every word of it, Eming. You are appreciated by me. Oh, thank uh, you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I, it bears repeating. So I, I don't really understand what's going on in a lot of ways. I, I don't want to say that I've tuned out, um, but I think I care a lot less than I used to. I'm a lot less invested in the horse race. I think in, in yeah. past primaries, you know, uh, I was fully invested watching results come in, staying up late to find out who was in the lead, wondering if one person could pull ahead of another. And this time, by the before Iowa even started, I was kind of just worn out. I was exhausted. Nothing, you know, I, I did have, you know, what you could say, some optimism at the beginning when we had a full field and there were some people I was excited about. You know, I did, I know this is controversial, but I did like Kamala Harris. And I didn't love Beto O'Rourke, but I liked that there was like, I don't know, a young guy who was new on the scene and good looking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shallow. You know, like that's, <laughs> the, the Democratic Party has oh, a long really? history of getting you. Uh, I am. What? Well, I mean, in, in some ways, I, I, I appreciate such aesthetics. A, such a know? revelation to start off the show yeah. with. <laughs> thank never, you. Thank you. I never would have guessed. Yeah. Rigorous honesty, people. Rigorous honesty. My pearls, <laughs> but I'm not alone. My clutch. Yes. 
but you know, the Democratic Party has a long history of like, you know, rallying around like a uh, handsome young white man, you know, like I'm not I'm not crazy for saying that. But there were other people in the field that, and, and it just at the field as a whole just had a lot more young people, a lot more women, a lot more people of color. Even if I didn't think there was like a, well, a we golden fixed child that. Well, yeah, I mean, spoiler, Travis, thanks. I was getting there. <laughs> but as you all know, slowly, one by one, those people have shed. And, and now we're just left kind of once again with old white men at the top. And that's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying old white men are inherently evil, but I just, you know, my enthusiasm has waned, let's say. And in the process, uh, there's just been a lot of ugliness. I did not like the Bernie Warren beef. Um, although, you know, I, I don't have any ill will towards either of them. I just felt like, man, this is really kind of shooting themselves in the foot. In a lot of ways, it was reminiscent of the Hillary Obama beef where it was just like, guys, get out of each other's way, you know, uh, except that only blew up in Hillary's face where I feel like this one negatively affected Warren and Bernie, whatever. It's just all of that is to say, by the time the Iowa caucus came around, I was just like, I, I didn't even stay up to watch results come in. Thankfully, because that would have been a waste of time and a reason to lose sleep or not a reason to lose sleep. Uh, so as everybody knows by now, uh, the Iowa caucus was a debacle. New Hampshire was a few days later. Uh, still, still no clarity, uh, except that many, many people have fallen behind. And I, you know, Travis and I, you and I have been talking a lot throughout this process. We check in yeah. periodically on the show. We text each other, uh, catty remarks. Uh, I'm. I don't want to say I'm done, but I kind of wish I could just, you know, hit the snooze button on this whole process yeah. and just wake up when I, you know, I don't even know, wake up when Bloomberg is the nominee and just like uh -huh. start, start getting myself excited about that. I feel like I made the mistake of deciding to watch the Lord of the Rings all at once. That's what this debate cycle feels like. <laughs> it like just I love the keeps reference, going. It just keeps going. It's like, wait, and I don't even agree that this is the hero. Like, I don't, like, this isn't the story. I, I didn't agree to this. And it yeah. just keeps going. And so, like, how many debates have we even had? Like, eight at this point or more? I stopped watching the debates a long time ago. I, a I long think time we ago. have, like, like, three or four left. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, they'll be more fruitful and more manageable once we're down to four, five people on the stage. You know what I mean? Uh, I or thought even so, three. but I don't feel like the conversation is getting elevated. I feel like everyone's just getting meaner. Like I thought yeah, when there true. were fewer, I thought when there were fewer candidates, we would really sort of like dig into the things that made them different um, to like help us choose. But it's just gotten cattier. And then there are candidates that aren't even on the debate stage. It's, I don't even, I don't even understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I stopped watching a while ago, uh, partly because it was just too crowded up there. Um, but also it did shift, you know, there was a time when people really were talking about policy. I mean, I don't know, this felt like 10 years ago, but initially it was like, Hey, we want to have Medicare for all. Oh, you know, we want to pay everybody's college tuition. I was like, well, we don't. You know, or we think that it's more important to beat Trump and who cares about policy. In a lot of ways, those those were camps that made sense. And I right. was like, OK, there's a contingency of people that are just like, we just want the person who could beat Trump. 
you know, I, I don't care about your policies. Just get rid of this guy. And then the other people are like, no, this is time for a revolution in the party. And for a while, that did feel like an ideological debate that was relevant or interesting. Um, but we've gotten pretty far away from that yeah. now to, to just personal attacks. And I, I know that's a part of politics. It's been around forever, but it it's I, I've, I have been completely turned off by it. And there's not really anybody left that I'm that excited about. I mean, I, you know, up, up until Iowa, I kind of thought like, all right, well, you know, uh, personally, I was like, I, I like Elizabeth Warren. You know, I, I thought she was a solid candidate. She's a very smart person. She's policy minded. I've been saying that for a long time. And then now I, what happened to her? Can anybody explain that? Um, like, does any if I could chime in, is she please what ended up happening? I think. And here's the thing. Um. Well, she had that whole like scandal about claiming to be Native American, and like, kind of yes. ran with it for majority of her like career. Um, yeah. And so then now there's been like extensive articles about like everything she said is a lie in some way, or embellished or exaggerated, and and it's like you can't do that because we just collect a lot more data and information, and we can pull up a time when you said this, and next time you said this, and it all seems very genuine. Um, and she said something about Bernie Sanders um, or she acted very petty on stage and um, everyone was like, come on. Like, you're- Wait, are you are you referring to when she went over and said, I heard you called me a liar or something like that? And like, she wouldn't like shake your hand or yeah. something and then people were like, yeah. he, just, he just came off as very like, let's just handle this privately. Like, there's no need to, you know? Um, it didn't help yeah. that I think Hillary was ragging on him in the same week saying that nobody likes him. And so, you know, the youth like him and so the fact that um he wrote he like tweeted something like well my wife likes me like we were just like oh that's such a burn so i'm I'm thinking about it from like the twitter sphere and how that all played out and so when you're talking about the debates the debates were interesting i never watched them and like like sat down and watched them i just saw clips because of what was trending on twitter and those is it is it gifs or gifs whatever um <laughs> where we're getting created and and the the narrative at least the people that i follow and like my twitter feed was basically like you guys have to stop like getting excited about what you know what memes come out of this and like it seemed like at least for a while like camelo was like very interested in like becoming a meme or like becoming like relatable and it's no longer stopped being about her policies and so right well, that that you made you made a very easy transition for me because I do want to talk about memes. I mean, I always want to talk about memes. I find a way to talk about memes on yeah. and or Drake on most episodes. Oh, Aubrey, um, please yeah, no. Ob's. There's no Drake. No, no Drake. This episode, Thank I'm you. just going to talk about memes. Um, plus, Drake can't run for president because he's born in Canada. It's irrelevant. <laughs> and speaking of Drake, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, obviously the big story for Bloomberg over the past week or so, I think this broke um, just before Valentine's Day, is that he has been paying, as I said at the top of the show, people who make and distribute memes to make Bloomberg memes uh, to increase his presence on Instagram. I want to have you guys seen any of the examples? No. Thank oh, okay. have, have you heard this story, Travis? Are you familiar I have. with it? Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, so, I mean, I don't know. They're not, they're, they're Mimi. And the, the examples that I'm looking at, first of all, Grape Juice Boys, love these guys, follow them. <laughs> they got heat. If you guys are looking for good memes, Grape Juice Boys is the place to go. Most of you probably already know that. But what it is, is like a fake text conversation between Mike Bloomberg 
and Grape, Grape Juice Boys. He says, hello, Juice Boys. Can you post an original meme to make me look cool for the upcoming Democratic primary? And Grape Juice Boys respond, I don't I don't think so. To be honest, your vibe is kind of off. And then Michael Bloomberg says, I put Lamborghini doors on the Escalade. Uh, and Grape Juice Boys reply, what? <laughs> so, I, you know, it's kind of like a joke. In some ways, it reminds me of the, uh, what was it, Bullworth was the... Um, yeah. The movie where Warren Beatty is running for office and becomes a rapper at, at some point, uh, like the the idea that I assume what Bloomberg's trying to do is appeal to young people, right? Because that's who cares and cares about and looks at these kind of memes. At least there are also a lot of like you know alt right memes that are a whole different kind of Pandora's box that we won't open yet. But and and that can only be because, or at least my thinking strategically is. As you said, Katiba, young people like Bernie for the most part. And uh, Bloomberg, I think, knows he's got to siphon off some of the youngsters if he's going to have a shot. And this is how he's chosen to do it. So that's a very long way of saying, Katiba, you gave me a good transition to talk about Bloomberg's meme story. Have you seen these memes? Like, is this a strategy that makes sense to you? What are your thoughts on Bloomberg and the Grape Juice Boys collabo? I don't have that wide of a range when it comes to like my Twitter feed or my Instagram feed, but they're not that popular. And I don't know if he's just like not paying the right people or maybe they come off as like very clearly like paid memes. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw some examples um, just like online just to like prep myself. And I was like, but these are so like clearly paid for, you know what I mean? Like it it screams paid. And I'm like, these aren't even because if they were from the debate, right? Then you can just take a clip and you can just say, "Lol, when Kamala said this, then Bloomberg and whatever." You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It. it was like it's like more witty and more clever. Now, when you one yeah. shows because then there's like a clear bias, and then again, when I look at a meme and if something is funny, I also check out the whole page. And if I see a whole bunch, all of a sudden you're posting a bunch of Bloomberg memes or pol- politics, and the last thing before that was something about. I don't know, poop, you know, baby like, Yoda. Yeah, something oh. stupid. Like, I'm just like, okay, well, there's a trend here. Um, but you, you also have to recognize that this happens all the time with any meme pages that's blowing up because they're also having, they're still having, um, sponsored posts in general. So it's just like media yeah. culture. So I'm not surprised, but I just feel like he's not doing a great job. And also again, in, in my Twitter universe, my Twitter feed, um, they people are starting to point it out and they will put like screenshots oh how are you critical bloomberg and now you're saying this you know so it's it's just like not that hard not that hard to find someone criticizing what they're now getting paid to say yeah i mean i i've seen there are a lot of different ways to do sponsor posts or ways that i've seen sponsor posts some of them are just like transparent and really annoying where it's like you know, like peep somebody's just like, oh, 10 fidget spinners for a dollar. It's like, dude, I just want to see memes, you know? Um, but other people have been clever about it and made like funny content. Bud Light, I think, has been really good at like having paid memes basically that are about beer. Like they'll be on like a college um, meme page, you know, and it'll be like about drinking or it'll be like a joke about um buying a case of beer or whatever and they'll just do they'll use bud light as the example or something and it'll still be a funny meme but it like when you think of beer you think of bud light which is the effect of advertising i think there's a way to do 
you know, a sponsored meme that's still funny. Yeah, but with and, politics, like, it's just like, I mean, not to, it's like the timing right now doesn't help that we're in like the, the thick of it. Right. If it was in the beginning, maybe, or maybe towards later end, then you can kind of slip by them. But like beer for college, like meme pages, like, that's just going to be yeah. around lower stakes. Kind of seasonal <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. Lower also, stakes. I feel like, I mean, if you're talking about marketing, it's sort of like marketing a product to a group of people who may be interested in that product. I feel like Bloomberg to young people is a huge task to sell. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not like selling and, beer to college students. <laughs> and that's not like, that's a lot to ask of a meme. Yeah. Like, uh, although I, I mean, it, conceptually, when I first read it, I was like, I'm kind of into it because I understand the way that alt-right people have kind of masterfully in a very like diabolical and dark way weaponized the meme more on Facebook, I guess, than on Instagram, um, where even, you know, like white supremacists using Pepe the Frog, Pepe the Frog used to mean a lot of different things. And then he became a symbol of the alt-right. And so much of what I understand about that intricate online world of the alt-right has to do with memes and meme imagery. And I thought, okay, now here's someone who is not a member of the alt-right, who is someone who's running for a Democratic nomination. Not that I'm, you know, coming out to endorse Bloomberg by any means, but like, you know, quote unquote, the other side trying to weaponize memes. I'm intrigued by the idea. But when I saw what the actual product was, I was like, oh, this just looks like an old guy trying to do a cool thing. You know what I mean? Like, and it's really cool. Well, which, which is worse than not doing he's anything. Older, I think that's almost his downfall because he can't tell what a good meme is so i think maybe a bunch of influencers are low-key scamming him right (laughs) oh you have a million people like you'd you'd be like good or maybe his team doesn't understand this is what happens when you don't employ like youth (laughs) this is literally what happens so then they see the million followers or two million and they're just like cool like whatever you say will really will really get them and it's like okay you're paying me this much like i'm gonna make shitty memes like to you a meme is a meme and, and you don't understand the depth of it but to us, we can see what a sponsored meme is. Like, it's not, you know, and again. Yeah, right. Like, no one on Bloomberg's team understands the meme world. Like, no one on Bloomberg's right. team is fully immersed in, like, the language of Baby Yoda or whatever. Um, so they're just, like you're saying, just throwing money at, like, oh, who's the biggest meme page? Like, here's a bunch of money. Make us something. And they don't, like you're saying, they don't have to make a quality product because they're like, all right, old man, give me the check. You know, here's your meme. Yeah, I you know I, I think you're absolutely right. That's probably a big part of the problem. Not that I'm defending Bloomberg necessarily. I just had to be honest about my initial response. Was like tight, you know, like <laughs> show me the Bloomberg memes. Like let's let's go. Maybe something will happen here. Um, I, I also wanted to ask you while we are kind of like blending these tech themes. Uh, I don't, I mean, I use like an average amount of apps, like not very many, not very few, never been part of developing an app. I'm not part of the app world or the tech world, but Katiba, I know you're in the tech world and I know you're in conversations like this. Like when everything went bad in Iowa, did you hear conversations like people in the tech world who were just like, oh, here's what's wrong with the Democratic Party and who they're getting to build their apps? Or like, here's what the specific issue was with this app. Like, was this a conversation among tech people after that primary or was it just not even um, relevant? And like, 
in my like I guess physical sphere <laughs> everyone kind of we're well just waiting because I think there was just too many democrats like running in the first place so we're just literally like at this point kind of drained we're kind of just waiting until like the last two last three um, but yeah. Yeah. in the twitter world they tore him apart because everyone did their research and they said the developer is on his like team or somehow related to him and is funded so people put together everything brought up receipts so here's the thing about twitter it's like you can't say something without getting ready for someone to tear it apart and provide receipts especially on that level yeah. and so yeah. everyone was just compiling like threads and threads and threads of like how this was like i guess low-key like borderline illegal right to some extent and like the fact that he like and i read someone like he announced before it was like due so like he thought he was gonna win or yeah was told he was gonna win and so everyone just yeah. did their research and i'm like you you gotta be smarter than that like you want to create the app like you yeah. just have to make sure you have no ties to this person like you cannot make it blatantly obvious that if i googled like one or two things like i could find it and it's not you don't have to be like someone who's super entrenched in politics to understand that like it literally just takes like a few clicks right it's not that hard. and if if you're not doing yeah. it someone is because this creates content like youtubers can get into it twitter threads can get into it um all types of people have their own commentary um i know PhD students who are breaking yeah. it down because they're just like, okay, well, I can have a viral tweet. Like everyone wins when they tear apart something like this. So the fact that they were able to do that um, was just perfect. And so I'm like, come on, Pete, you know better. <laughs> like, what did you? Th and, and like the thing is, yeah. he like kind of goes off of this vibe of like he's like young and smart and like relatable. Um, and so it's just like, how does he like not understand that part? You know. And yeah. I think for me also, like coming out of the 2016 Democratic nominations, I feel like this is exactly the kind of thing that people were going to be on the lookout for. Like people came out of, I think, the 2016 nomination process begging for transparency, begging to know that like every candidate had an equal shot, that there was not sort of like anything weird going on on the inside because this we saw all of this and that's what added to the fatigue of around hillary clinton i think among a lot of things and so it just seems like the opposite of that is happening now like we have what happened in the iowa caucus and no transparency whatsoever and people feeling like their votes didn't matter and they were flipping coins like it was super weird um and there just seems more and more bloomberg doesn't have to like meet any requirements and he just sort of like shows up doesn't come to any debates, um, but he's like a major candidate. And I just feel like it's we're repeating even worse the mistakes that happened in 2016. Meaning and this is exact. You're talking about, you know, kind of the establishment of the Democratic right. Party that wants the safe nominee in 2016. That was Hillary Clinton in 2020. Or so we were told. Or so we were told. I mean, that was the establishment pick, right? And there were a lot of right. leaks about um, the DNC doing things behind people's back to make it easier for Hillary to get the nomination because they clearly didn't want Bernie. Uh, and presumably in 2020, they want an establishment pick. At least, I mean, Biden, I guess, used to be the person that they thought might be the establishment pick, but kind of just like not Bernie. It's just becoming like, as long as it's not Bernie Sanders, you're saying like, this is, they're repeating the same mistakes or they're making the same mistake in a different way. 
I think they're making the same mistake in, in a different way, in some ways, a worse way. And sort of even more than that, I'm saying they're making mistakes that I think they should be aware that people were l- going to be looking for them to make. Yeah. People were going to be looking for this t- type of thing that happened in Iowa. And they did it like so blatantly. Yeah. Um, it well, seems also odd. at the same time, yeah. it's like there's literally um, like like mediums of like, like media in general where they make like content based on uncovering when someone is lying. Um, it doesn't like the New York Times does like a lie counter. There's someone, there's some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of outlets do it, but the New York Times did it recently for the State of the Union address about like, you know, uh, it's like a, they're, they're fact checker. They're independent so fact like, checker. I'm surprised yeah. that like, there isn't as much transparency some of these candidates and they almost act like it's like 2016 again like oh it'll be fine it'll blow over and it's like no yeah. because at least my generation we're a lot older now and this will be our second election and so we're just a lot more vocal and we can just figure it out easier um today i had like a brand yeah. supporter um canvasser come to my door and we had like a genuine conversation about like literally everything it was, it was like the one time i actually wanted to hold a conversation with someone who was just asking me to vote and i was like yeah let's discuss because it finally felt like a real conversation instead of like a whole thread that i've been seeing yeah <laughs> and is that would you say that's a credit to bernie's campaign that he's got people out there who are passionate and willing to engage young people or is well, this specific to you what what lurid conversation it had to be the fact that um i mean me and him discussed like topics that other candidates and and their canvassers would find to be taboo like we actually talked about palestine and so like we had genuine conversations and he was like this canvasser was like oh i wish he was a lot more um more left about this topic but at least he's bringing it up and i was like holy shit did i think that this conversation is going to happen in 2020 no um especially in a candidate like you know platform so i was like wow and and even his own like canvassers are like, I wish he did, you know, I wish he was a lot more left leaning. But I feel like at least the videos that I've seen or like, criticisms of like Warren's um, is just like, oh, but she's like the first woman president. Like, don't you want to support that? And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, if I'm not a good fit, like you shouldn't be, you shouldn't just choose me based on my gender, right? Like, I'm critical, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that was the a lot of people made in 2016 is that Hillary was relying so heavily on the fact that she was a woman that a lot of people, particularly young people and Bernie supporters said like, yeah, that's fine. We want to have a female president, but you don't just choose someone just mm-hmm. because they happen to be a woman. Um, at which, you know, I, I get a little bit less of that from Warren than I, than, than I did from Hillary. Well, I think, I don't, I don't know if that's an accurate assessment. Right? Like, the first time we had that conversation. Yeah. Because, like, Obama, like, swept yeah. her, you know, when yeah. he was running. So it's like, it wasn't a conversation. Like, you would want to, you know. Yeah, but that was also another conversation about, like, well, it's it's past time for a female president, but mm-hmm. it's also past time for a black president. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like yeah. a face-off. You know what I mean? Like, what would be a bigger deal for history? And those things kind of, it was a push. Those things offset because there were enough people who recognized how, uh, you know, historically momentous it would be to have a black president as they did for a woman. And then it came down to, you know, policy and likability. And people were just like, Obama was just the, clearly the stronger candidate. In this instance, you know, Warren is the only person who's left in the race who's not 
a white man. Right? I mean, why well, is Klobuchar? Klobuchar is a woman. Weird though. Um, like, I, I but, have no concept. Of, like, what exactly she's trying to do? Because there's been like clear criticism about like some of our policies and ideas as well. So it just like compared to Bernie, and I guess Warren, she just comes off as a little. I don't know. Like what they've been saying, like the, like the memes are also like for example for for Pete is like oh yeah like the first gay president how amazing but I can't believe he's a closeted Republican and I'm like whoa. <laughs> never seen that before but it's like the, the running joke for him because he's like just not as liberal as the others and people keep out on it because they're like no you did yeah. a shit job as a mayor like how, like we saw this like stop acting like you you like erased your past you know yeah in some ways it's like a mark of progress that it's like not really that big a deal yeah. that buddha judge is gay you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, so what? You know? <laughs> like, you That's know. what's frustrating a lot of people because they're like, you represent, um, what do they say? Like, you represent like white gay men. And like, that's how like uh, a lot of gay, like white gay men apparently like get a lot of benefits and privileges that other. Yeah. Right. Like your, yeah, your exactly. gayness does not exactly. erase your whiteness. Like <laughs> Will and Grace was a yeah. 90s show. We had a long time yeah. to wrap our minds around white gayness, um, <laughs> which is like taken center stage. And the, there's a way in which like that's not radical at all. And particularly in this particular white gay man, like he, I feel, goes out of his way um, to just show how middle of the road Bible belt American values he is. Like every time he talks about middle America, I'm like most queer people I know from middle America fled. And that is not a value um, that I like, I don't know why those are the and values like, you keep speaking to. Yeah. Recently he well, like in some ways, go ahead, Katiba. Go ahead. Uh, it was like, it was like supposed to be Trayvon Martin's like 25th birthday. May he rest in peace. Um, and he was just like, you know, this was because of like white supremacy and whatever. And everyone was like, shut up. Like you were the last person to speak on this. Like this, this is such a, like a, a reach, a reach for you. Like you, you're not that person. Like don't. Oh, so yeah. you're saying it's like, it's disingenuous for Buddha judge to come out and say something about Trayvon Martin. I mean, I, I totally understand that, but I also feel like he's, he would get criticism if he said nothing. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of, but he's put himself in this corner where he is right. a traditional middle America wholesome guy. So people right. are like, all right, well, talk about black issues. You know, and he's like, well, all oh, right, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like fine. Yeah. It's kind of interesting though, because usually in democratic primaries, and this is true for Republican primaries too, candidates are talking to the base, right? They're not talking to the country as a whole, like in Republican primaries, like, everybody's doubling down on being a Republican and how conservative they are. Democratic primaries, all they talk about is how liberal they are. And then as soon as they get the nomination and it's a national election, they have to shift, right? They become a more mainstream candidate and they become more centrist, no matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. In this instance, I think that the Democrats have a unique problem because Democrats understand, Democratic voters understand that in order to beat Trump, you need someone who can win in a state like Pennsylvania or a state like Wisconsin or whatever, Ohio, the all those kind of like Rust Belt, or, you know, post-industrial Midwestern states that the Democrats lost. So this primary is a lot more about Democrats trying to prove that they're centrist or palatable, you know, to the masses as opposed to appealing to the base which I think is why we've ended up with so many 
centrists at the top, you know, right. and, and I assume that's what Pete's approach is. And that's kind of been right. Biden's approach the whole time, you know, but what ends I think I think yeah. that is Pete's approach. Yeah. But I also think that that's genuinely who he is. I think that he is genuinely a centrist, um, which is just borderline Republican at this point. Um, <laughs> And, or just not perhaps not even borderline, which is also where like you would find a Biden, I think. And yeah. part, for me, what's becoming apparent is like it's sort of ridiculous that you have like a Bernie Sanders and a Biden in the same party. Like that that those um, worldviews and those political views and those policy views exist in the same party, and we're being asked to choose between those two is so sort of interesting to me. And even like the conversation that like the people we need to win win over are people who would otherwise vote for Trump. And I just sort of feel like if Trump at this point is still an option for you, you're not the person we are convincing. That is not <laughs> the person we are like trying to get to come. Like we should, it, we have to find someone else. Those aren't the people. Um, it's well, a, just a weird, it's weird for me. It's just weird. That that's I, like what I the agree. Focus I mean, I agree on that point. It's weird, but I disagree because on the one point, which is like, I don't think that that's unique to this election. I think that the problem with national elections is like, I think, mm, you know, let's throw a number out there. Ninety five percent of voters already know who they're going to vote for. Right. Like ninety five percent of voters are either like I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, period. Right. Or I'm going to vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is because I want Trump out of office, you know, and the only people who are left are the quote unquote undecideds. They're the only people who really get a national campaign. But who are those people? You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand it's like a polarized country and I'm not saying that people shouldn't be open minded, but this is not there's there's not a lot of gray area here. There's like Trump and not Trump. But you, you know? know who I think those people are? I don't think that those people are Republicans. I think those are like the protest voters or like the people like Bernie or nothing. Like, I think those are all like Democrat people. So you mean there are people like like who you're not who would otherwise stay home, but you're saying someone who loves Bernie. Right. Let's say Bernie doesn't get the nomination, you know, a month before the election. Those people are still trying to decide They're between like, Bloomberg. It, I'm not or I'm writing in Yang or I'm not yeah. voting for anyone. Like, I think it's <laughs> those people. Yeah. It's like those Green Party voters from 2016 and then add Bernie bros. And like gang gang, I think it's those people. I don't think we're pulling any any Republicans. Those are not the no folks. no. I, I don't mean Republicans. I mean people who are like true what they call the true undecideds. This happens every four years. CNN just finds like a room full of yokels who are like, now you're the undecideds. Well, what's important to you? You know. And then you look around at those people, and it's like I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about anybody who's undecided at that point, but it, it really begs a lot of questions. Like you really don't know, you know, on October 19th, 2020, Who you're voting for whether you want to vote for Donald Trump or not. You know, I mean, I, and some, they're also looking, there's so many unicorns in play because it's going to be a close election that people are like, Oh, you know, Biden would be really good at getting the Obama Trump vote, right? Like the people who voted for Obama in uh, 2012 and then voted for Trump in 2016, whoever those people are, right? Like, those four people. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. It's such a tiny percentage of, of voters, but those are the people that you have to angle for. I mean, the same, the same thing is true for states. You know, this has been a, a story right. for a long, long time where it's like, you know, most states in the country, we already know, 
You know what I mean? We already know who California is going to vote for. But I just feel like those people who were like, I voted for Obama and then I voted for Trump, right? Like, what has their life been like for the last four years that you're still like, I might vote for Trump again? Yeah. Like, the Rust Belt is still rusty. He's not even really, you know what I mean? Like, those people, yeah, I'm just not, like, I got why those people, yeah. No, go ahead. I got why those people didn't go from like Obama to Hillary. Yeah. I got why though, because I feel like those people felt forgotten about. I felt like those people, um, like the people who were like Obama, then Trump, not like, you know, whatever. But yeah, I just feel like, are they still undecided now? Like, the, like we have a very clear idea of what he's about. And it's just going to be more of this. And if you rock with this, then I don't, then no one on the left would appeal to you. Who would appeal to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the only argument I would make, or at least like the, the part of it that makes sense is like that region really is economically depressed, right? Like those people, we've talked about this a bunch of times, the people who did vote for Trump, the people that we were so mystified about were like, where are all these, you know, disaffected uh, white people? You know, that, that the, the way that the economy has shifted and adversely affected people who live uh, in states that are post-industrial states. Like that's, I I believe that's like a real social issue, right? I don't think the answer is to vote for Donald Trump, but I do understand a group of people that's like, we're suffering economically and no one's really talking to us, you know? And I could see, and and Trump made the effort to say, you know, whatever, these are empty promises, they're meaningless. And he also says a lot of hateful things that are um, irrelevant to that issue. But he says, you know, whatever, we're going to bring manufacturing back and we're going to have tariffs against China. It's like, even if those things aren't effective, I could understand how those kind of voters think like someone is speaking to my concern, like we're not an ignored group anymore. And I think the argument a lot of people made after 2016 was that, you know, Hillary and the Democratic Party was making so many overtures to be inclusive. And, um, you know, obviously that's a good thing, right? To be inclusive in terms of identity, in terms of gender and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what a lot of people have pointed to, and this is not a new idea by any means, is like, you know, poor white people in rural areas and post-industrial areas, like there was not room in the Democratic tent for them. You know, because the Democrats were more interested in bringing in, you know, black voters and people of color and women and queer people. And that's good. But a lot of people said it was at the expense of whatever poor white people. There's there's something there. And I think if Obama was considered an agent of change, right, whatever that vague change was, I think some of those people could think, all right, well, that speaks to me. You know what I mean? Because he had a unity vote. He wanted people to make them feel good about themselves. And I think calling people deplorable obviously isn't great. You know, this isn't all to like bag on Hillary or blame her for all of our problems, but it's like, it's a strategy issue where like people gambled on like, we don't need poor white people to win. And the truth is you probably do. You at least need to, you know, talk to them, you know, but that in some ways that explains the unicorn of the Obama Trump voter, but it also exposes the problem in the Democratic Party, which is like, what what is your base now? Now that unions aren't relevant anymore um, and, you know, poor but white people. I also people. feel like the people who campaigned hardest to those areas early on are gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, that true. Re- who, who, are you, like, who, are you, who are you thinking of specifically? Like, who really like can't who really like did town halls in those areas early on was like, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Like Elizabeth is still in it, but she's not a front runner at this point. Yeah. And I, I, I yeah. feel, I mean, I don't know the numbers on this, but I feel like she did 
more town halls in those areas than anybody else. Because Hillary didn't even campaign in those regions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've said that so much that it's like a cliche or like a joke or a punchline or whatever, but it's true. The fact that she didn't go to those states is like one very obvious way to talk about the fact that that group of people was, you know, largely overlooked by Democrats, you know? So, I mean, that's, it's a problem with strategy. And we've already exposed that the Democrats have a problem with strategy because now they want a former Republican billionaire um, to save them (laughs) from a socialist, you know, instead of acknowledging the truth, which is what you were saying, Katiba, which is like, there's a candidate who's resonating with people like young people like Bernie, uh, you know, poor white people like Bernie, you know, like, what are you afraid of? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that he's going to take your money. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that's, that's yeah. That is it. Yeah. You, they're like, we cannot have you taxing billionaires. You just cannot have that as a platform. Yeah. Can't have it. Can't have it. Yeah, but that's what's going to fracture the party. Like, if they're so late to come around, if that's really what people want, and I think overwhelming, that's what the numbers say about young voters, where like a lot of, I mean, we're using the word socialist, but like, I think overwhelmingly young people are like, yeah really rich people should pay more taxes. I mean, that's what Occupy was about. You know, the only like viable political movement of the left in the last decade, at least, um, was about that, that introducing that language of the 1%, the 99% that resonated with young people. And that's why someone like Bernie appeals to them. If you're behind that curve, that's how you end up with Trump. You know what I mean? Like right. in a very perverse way. Um, but I, I am interested. I, I wanted to ask you, Katiba, just because I haven't had anybody come to my door. I haven't had any conversations with people who are canvassing. Uh, have you heard from other um, candidates? Are there people from other uh, representing other candidates who knock on your door or yeah, try and engage um, you in conversations? Yeah, and if I, so, what are they talking I mean, about? I think Bernie's people were the only ones. Maybe his team is not reaching out to folks in my neighborhood in Oakland. Yeah. In East Oakland, of all places, which is unfortunate, but maybe maybe they also figured out that a lot of us would be just pro Bernie. <laughs> Sometimes they do. I saw a video though; they were going to uh, yeah. students' homes in Berkeley, and I was like, "Oh, that's clever because you're probably thinking that we're pro Warren mm-hmm. as well, right?" Because I went to Cal, so I was like, "Oh my God, they're probably thinking that this is a great campus." But it's like, mm-hmm. if anything, we're probably like split. Maybe a lot of folks are pro Bernie, but Warren, maybe to those econ kids, is a lot more sane and like has a good head on her shoulders, but isn't too super liberal. She might fit that palette a little bit more, but I just saw a video of yeah. uh, folks criticizing her canvassers. Yeah. Um, because they were like really like her policies are whack and you all should read into it. And, and, and the canvassers didn't even try to have a genuine conversation. They were like, oh, what? Like, why do you think that? And I was like, and this is about her stance on Palestine. So everyone, like, I was like, dang, we was hitting it hard with that, con- with that conversation. And it's because, like, Bernie brings it up yeah. enough times. So that just sound like a hardcore Bernie, bro. But, you know, like, like yeah. that's literally the conversation that we had. Because I was like, that's the last <laughs> thing. Like, I mean, the guy also had on his shirt, like, Medicare for mm. all and college for free and, like, Black Lives Matter and T.O. Bernie, like, everything. Like, you could not look at his shirt and be like, I can't relate to any of these, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, I, we've used the phrase Bernie bro a few times. 
This is a little bit of a tangent, but I am kind of interested in unpacking that phrase a little bit because I think when I first encountered it, it was uh, early in the 2016 election. And I had a, a, a good friend who was working for Hillary's campaign. And she was furious because, you know, someone, you know, Bernie supporters had made some argument with her about why, you know, Hillary wasn't the right candidate. And she said, oh, they're a bunch of Bernie bros. It's the first time I heard it. So, you know, it's obviously it's a gendered phrase, right? Like, you know, presumably a bro is a is a male identified person. And at the time and kind of the way that she explained it was like, oh, yeah, like people who support Bernie Sanders are like sexist because they don't think that Hillary Clinton should be president or something. It, it seemed like a little contrived in some ways. Um, but then I, I think there's a racial element to that, too. A racial. Oh, yeah, because they're white. They're white guys. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. But how accurate is that? Like, can we call it like are all Bernie supporters Bernie bros or is it just like the white male Bernie supporters or Bernie bros? Or- I think that meaning has distilled right now to really speak about like to to get at like particularly on Twitter. I don't know how active either of you are on Twitter, but like um, there's sort of like this really meat. They're like Beyonce's fans. Like if you are critical of Bernie, <laughs> um, you should just be prepared for like an onslaught of really not even sort of like debate, but just sort of like attack. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how genuine that is. I don't know if some of those people are like Russian bots. I have no idea. Um, but I think for me now, when I ever I hear Bernie bros, those are the people that they're referring to. And it's gotten to the point where they're like, this is probably going to be a topic in the next debate. 15 of 24. Um, <laughs> so like, it's, it's like that, that hateful, evil, scary group of um, online bullies that like, right. you cannot, you cannot say a single thing yeah. uh, critical of Bernie and like social media land without, it's really like the Bayhive. But that's not to say that, like, the majority of Bernie's supporters are, like, young white men, right? I mean, this day he has, like, a pretty broad support base with older people and people of color, queer people, women, right? I mean, that is fair to say. Yes, I I think that's true. Things like, it's Bernie nothing, like, what is it? It's Bernie or bust, they say. And so they get so, like, loud on social media and it, like, and then, of course, like, Fox sees that and picks at it. And it can, it's sensationalized. Like, you know, I could be like Muslims for Bernie and it's right. like cute. And it's like, duh, of course you are. But it's like the Bernie bros post some awful tweets and it's like, okay, well, now I got to talk about this. And it's like, well, <laughs> there you go again. Right. Right. All right. Well, I, I was hoping, first of all, let me, uh, before we wrap up, thank both of you for this conversation because I was feeling like I didn't really care that much anymore. Not that I don't care, not in like a nihilistic way or anything, but this conversation has kind of brought me back in a little bit. So just as friends and as a person, I want to yes. thank you guys. <laughs> not that I'm Mission accomplished. Up. I'm not saying, I, you know, it's not like I'm with Mission accomplished. Uh, I need you hopeful, Russell. But, uh, Rus- I mean, hopeful Russell is my favorite Russell. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. I just uh, am, am reminded that there are a lot of dimensions here and nothing was ever accomplished by throwing your hands in the air. You know what I mean? Well, unless you're like throwing your hands in the air, like at a concert because you're exuberant. I mean, like, you know, throwing your hands up and walking away. There are just a lot of dimensions here and it is it is important. It does matter. It's not just I don't want to be 
I, I think that the position of like, you know, whoever beats Trump or whatever, that's kind of a lazy position because we have to question our ideology. It's not enough just to be an alternative to something that's clearly, uh, what's the right word? Evil, you know? Right. Um, although the alternative to evil is good too. So I support that, but I, thanks to both of you guys for contextualizing, uh, and giving me an opportunity to talk about memes once again. Uh, you're welcome, Eming, for not bringing up Drake. <laughs> Thank you. I just see that as a missed opportunity, frankly. There, where, where could I have put in the Drake reference? It didn't. It needs to come I up organically. I don't know, but I believe we. Sh- I believe we probably could have. All right. Well, eventually, there's going to be a margin call bingo where it's like Drake reference. Boom! You like stamp your card. You know, uh, <laughs> meme meme conversation. Boom! Stamp your card. Uh, margin call drinking game. Yes. My resignation for margin. <laughs> <laughs> There's no room for Drake conversations, man. You're you're a fundamentalist, email. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you're like, but, acting like a Bernie bro, email. Yeah. I was just gonna say. I'm fine with that. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yes, uh, thanks to you, Eming, as always, uh, for keeping us sounding good and uh, on topic. Although you didn't have to jump in and interrupt that often. So, I think we did a pretty good job tonight. Um, and thanks to Travis and to Katiba. We love having you on. Please come Thank back you. soon. There will be a lot of conversations about this primary and other things going on in the world unfolding over the next few months. So, thanks to both of you. And thanks to our listeners. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.